I appreciate your sensitivity to following whatever God's doing here in this place. Amen? Amen. He's at work. I believe it. We begin a brand new series today, Signs. We've been rattled over the past six or seven weeks, amen? And it's time for something new. And what a day to be alive. What a day to see some of the things that are happening in our world today. And it requires that we ask the question as believers, God, what in the world is going on? Is this what we've read? Is this what we have anticipated? Are these the end times? Are we about to see a move of God like we have been reading for decades? Those are great questions. We need to find some answers, and we will attempt to do so in this series. I'm convinced, and I believe, based on what God's Word says to us, this is not the time to fear. Mm. Now, we've got to unpack some scripture to get to that place. This is the time for us, as God's people, to have faith greater than we've ever had before, love greater than we've ever demonstrated before, and hope greater than we've had before. I base that today on a couple of verses that we begin with that really frame this whole series. They come from the Old Testament, come from the prophet Isaiah. Take a look at these verses because they give us our platform for this entire series. Isaiah chapter 46 verse 10 says this, For I am God, and there is no other I am God, and there is none like me. Amen. Amen. That's a great start. Verse 11. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. God is God. He has determined the beginning and the end. He is the one who reigns from before there was what we call beginning and who will reign after what we call the end. He has always existed and always will exist. There was no beginning to him and there is no end to him. He is the eternal, all-wise, sovereign God. And just because in the moment you can't see it or figure it all out does not mean he is not God. That's why truths like this are so important to us. In changing times, we go back to the truth that he is God. And what he does, he does out of his pleasure. Take note of that word. It doesn't say, and I will do all my selfish desires. I will do all my angry tirades. That's not what it says. God is sovereign, which means he controls and reigns over all, but he is good. And what he does, he does out of delight from his heart for us. You are part of that plan. You are not here just because 
Your parents decided you were going to be here. You are here because God decided for you to be here. He sovereignly chose that you would live at this time, that you would be in this day, that you would have the circumstances that you have in your life, and that he would show himself strong in your life. That's his design. That's his purpose. That's his pleasure. Things are not out of control to God. They are perfectly on track, accomplishing every step and process that he has planned. Every moment of your life and every moment of what is happening around us. For that reason, our message today is called, We Will Not Fear. And this is how we enter our signs series. If you have your Bible or Bible app, I'd encourage you to turn to Matthew 24. We're going to be looking at two passages today. This is one of them. Most of the time when people know there's going to be a series about the end times, they think it's all going to be about the book of Revelation. Well, trust me, the scripture has a whole lot more to say about the end times besides the book of Revelation. There's a lot that happens there, but there's a lot that happens outside of the book of Revelation. So today, to help us get started in the series, to kind of lay some foundational pieces, we begin with some words from Jesus, Matthew 24. It tells about an event where it says, now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, I'm in verse 3, the disciples came to him privately, saying, tell us when will these things be, and what will be the signs or sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Jesus, can you tell us something? We're away from the crowds right now, Jesus. Can you just give us something here? Give us something so that we'll know. Are we near? Are we close? Is there a sign? How far is it to Bucky's? Is there a sign on the highway that will tell us? Right? That's what you want. We go down the highway. If you go on 35, 45, 20, whatever it is, you can just about come outside of every you know, major highway out of Dallas and find a Bucky's now. Do you know that? You follow the signs, you'll find them. The disciples said, Hey, can you tell us what the, what's the sign? Give, give us something that lets us know it's close. Verse 4 and 5 And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Jesus says, look, I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to be led astray because you're going to hear a lot of voices. You're going to hear a lot of things about what is to come. Verse 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. Say it again. See that you are not troubled. Say it with me. See that you are not troubled. This is Jesus saying this. This is not some author in the 21st century trying to sell books and get some profits. This is Jesus talking about the end times, and Jesus lays this out over it. See that you are not troubled. If your talk about the end times leads you to where your heart is troubled, I'm just going to say up front, you might be going down the wrong path. Because whatever path it goes down, it's got to include that. See? 
that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So Jesus is starting to lay some stuff out here. He's starting to give some Bucky sign teasers about what's ahead. He's starting to give us some ideas, starting to talk to the disciples here. And Jesus says, here's, what, here's some of the things that you're going to see. He says in verse 7, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Now that looks like a headline right out of the internet today. There's disease, there's kingdoms rising against kingdoms within a nation. There are nations rising against nations. There's earthquakes. There's a lot happening. Verse eight, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Those things are not the end yet. They are the beginning of sorrows. Now, this word sorrows here uh, is very relevant for us, very relevant for me and our family right now because it's the word that refers to labor pains. And if you've seen Taylor walking around recently, you're probably thinking, whew, the end is near, right? That's what she's hoping. No, it's the word really for labor pains. And so Jesus is saying, when you start to see some of these things happening, know this, it's not the end yet, but it's the beginning of early labor. Now, I didn't grow up around a lot of people having babies. So when Heather got pregnant and she's reading up and studying and we're going to see, you know, uh, we're going to these birth training classes and we're talking to the midwife and we're going to all these other classes and stuff. And they start talking about all the different phases of labor. And I'm like, what? What is all that? It was just an incredible learning opportunity for me, education. There is early labor in which a woman begins to see a few signs, but outwardly, you might not even know it. I mean, a couple of days before Heather has Brianna, she's out in the front yard mowing the yard. That's, that's Heather. She's tough. She was experiencing some of the early phases of labor, but she was still going about life. She was still doing her thing. There's early labor. There's middle labor. And then there's the, mm, this is the labor labor. And things are about to start happening. And the thing about labor is, even though it might start at a certain time, you had no clue how long it's going to last until that baby's born, right? So, you know, Brianna comes along and Heather's having early labor and it, it's not, I mean, less than 24 hours, we got a Brianna. We move ahead to Holly, 1993. Early labor starts and we're like, hey, 24 hours, we're going to have a baby. This is going to be awesome. 24 hours. 36 hours, 48 hours. It takes a long time. She's very different. You do not know when the actual birth is going to occur. Signs of labor? Yes. When it's going to happen? Don't know. Ladies? That's where you say amen. Yeah, all right. Very good. And Jesus is equating this idea of the end times to pregnancy. It's not the only time it happens in Scripture. It happens in Romans 8 where Paul writes and he says, we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. 
Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit in us. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. Yeah. God says in his word, the end times are somewhat like the process of pregnancy. There's an end point, and you will not know when that is. You'll see signs, but you will not know that last moment. But what is revealed then, oh, is what you're waiting for. That mom and that dad are waiting for that day when that baby will be born. And the labor is worth it. So we look forward to that day. And Jesus says here, when you see these things happening, when you see pestilence and kingdoms rising up within a nation against other kingdoms inside a nation, and nations are warring against one another, and there's even earthquakes, it's the whole world saying, it's time. Come, Lord Jesus. It's time for something new to be birthed here. Lord, this is what you've planned all along. And Jesus says, these are the beginning of sorrows. Verse 36, we jump on down. Matthew, and it says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Mm. The angels don't know. In the Gospel of Mark, it says that it, not even the Son of God knows, that only the Father knows. Now, come back tonight and see this movie, and you'll see some of the significance of just that statement. Powerful, beautiful truth there. Verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Mm. Jesus just dropped a big old truth bomb out for the disciples and for us. He just gave us a pattern and a plan. Jesus said, you want to know what it's going to be like? then I'm going to direct you backwards to something else that happened because in that is a blueprint for that. And if you understand what happened then, then you can understand what's going to happen then. And Jesus says, as in the days of Noah, he takes it all the way back to a story they knew. He took it back to a story that is recorded for us in Scripture. The days of Noah. So in Noah's day, the population of the earth had increased. We're after sin has occurred on the earth. And it's pretty evident because generations have passed since Adam and Eve. And boy, it has not gone well. Man has chosen to walk away from God. And the earth is filled with wickedness. I mean, there's cruelty. There's hatred. There's every man doing what he wants to do, not what God wants to do. Man choosing to try to make life happen on his own, denying God. And things have become so bad that Noah and his family are the only righteous ones on the earth. Now, I don't mean they were better in the sense of they were always nice and everybody else was always mean. That was a manifestation of it. No one in his family were the only ones that had faith in God. Everyone else had faith in themselves. Everyone else said, God is bad and we are good. And because of this, God said he was going to bring judgment on the earth. 
there was coming a flood. And he gave Noah the insight that he needed to prepare for that day. You see, God was going to bring judgment on the earth. He had given plenty of opportunities for the people alive in that day to repent. In fact, the New Testament calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. He wasn't just a boat builder. He was a preacher. And this is what his primary task was, to declare that there is forgiveness and hope in God. But the people in his day refused to listen to him. They liked their own narrative instead. They didn't like Noah's narrative. Their narrative just felt a lot better. No God, N-O God, not K-N-O-W. There is no God, and if there is, he's not good. We don't care about Noah's message, and we don't care about that thing he's calling a boat. He says that we have to enter into that in order to escape the coming judgment. That is crazy. We will do what we want. We will not do what Noah says. We'll live out our own agenda. We'll live by our own pleasures. We don't care, Noah. And Noah, while he was a preacher, built a way of escape. He built a boat because God told him to. And this ark would be what would provide escape, deliverance. God had delivered Noah and his family in their heart, and they were waiting for the day they would be physically delivered from the judgment to come because the judgment was coming. But Jesus says, you know, just like that day, there's coming a day. There's coming a day when people will just live by their own desires and their own appetites and their own wants and their own narrative. There's coming a day when people will say, eh, I don't care about that God stuff. I don't care about sacrifice for sins. I don't care about all that stuff. I'll do what I want. I don't want any of that God stuff. And though it's not a popular message today, the truth for today is the same as the truth for then. There's coming a day of judgment. There's coming a day when God will judge this earth. It will happen. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days ahead. There's coming a day when God will bring justice to every injustice. Every wrong will be made right. And all of those who shook their fist at God refused his truth, chose their own narrative, they will pay. This is not because God is an angry God. This is because God is a just God. He protects his name. He protects his way. He is holy and righteous and just. And you cannot run forever. There will be a day of reckoning. So Jesus is giving some sign here. He's giving us some indication. And it says in verse 38, For as in the days before the flood... They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. 
The people heard Noah and discounted his message. The people wanted to do their own thing. They lived out their own way. But there came a day when God said, all right, Noah, I want you to enter into the ark. I want you to enter in, and the book of Genesis says that God himself closed the door. Not Noah. God closed the door. And when the door was closed and they were safe inside the ark, then, and only then, did the judgment rain down upon the earth. God rescued Noah and his family. They entered into their rescue. The ark is a beautiful picture of Christ. They entered into the security and stability of what God had, and that became their escape and deliverance above the judgment that lifted them up and the rest of the world who had shook their fist at God were judged on that day. And the reason we know they were uninterested is because of this verse. They were eating and drinking. They were marrying, giving in marriage. They had no concern for the ways of God. And what this story and what I believe is many other stories in the scripture, they reveal a blueprint, a pattern. I come from a background in design and architecture and art, so blueprint speaks to me. I get it. I get a plan. I get a blueprint that says, here's the way this building is to be built. Here's the way it works. Here's where the walls are to be assembled. Here's where the electricity goes. Here's how the roof fits. I get blueprint. And so what I think we see in this story and the stories of people like Enoch, who was translated to heaven and never died, um, the children of Israel, who were covered over by the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, and they did not face the death angel in Egypt. Rahab, who was living in the wall of Jericho, who was rescued out before the city was destroyed. I believe we see a pattern, a blueprint. And here's what it looks like to me through Scripture. Check it out. God reveals his glory. It's a, it's a repetitive theme throughout Scripture, even when the people have sinned. And God calls man to follow. He calls man to believe. He calls man to have faith. He calls him to walk in his ways. He calls him to repent of his own ways. He calls him to follow him. And then he prepares his people for rescue. He's rescued their heart, but he calls them and says, I'm going to physically rescue you. I'm going to lead you out of Egypt. I'm going to rescue you from the flood that's coming, Noah. I'm going to rescue you, Rahab, from the wall. It's a pattern. God prepares his people for the day of rescue. He begins preparing their hearts for that day. And then there's faith. There are those who believe. They choose to believe what God says. But at the same time, there are those who don't. They resist. They shake their fist at God and say, I will not believe. I will do what I want to do. I am God. And then there comes a day when God delivers his people. In a miraculous form, he does that. Go through the stories that I just mentioned and many others. God miraculously delivers his people out of the judgment that's coming. And that's the next thing. God brings judgment. 
on those that have persecuted his people, on those who have shook their fist at God, those who have walked in their own ways and selfishness and immorality and have said no to God. God brings judgment upon them, and then God rewards his people after that. This is a blueprint. This is a pattern, and you repeat it over and over and over. Have you ever been in a, in a neighborhood where they build the homes and every third home is the same? Yeah? You know what I'm talking about? It's a blueprint. It's a pattern. It happens over and over and over again. So it's just about to the point where you realize, okay, there it is. One, two, three. There it is again. There's that plan again. There's that plan again. So you kind of you know, third house down, it's going to be that same plan again. You know what I'm talking about? Same with Scripture. God says, I have a way that I do things. My ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. But if you know my ways, then you can anticipate what I'm going to do next. This, I believe, is a pattern that happens over and over again in Scripture. So this begins to give us some pretty clear evidence of what is going to happen next. So back to Jesus' words in Matthew 24. It says, And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus kind of wrapped it up and said, You know, they ignored, denied, refused, and they didn't even know until the flood came. And when the judgment fell, then they knew. God protects his name and his ways. They are holy and just. You cannot rage against them for long. You can, but there's coming a day of pay. There's coming a day of judgment. And when I turn to a passage like Romans 1, you can make a note. I'm not going to show this on screen. Romans 1, beginning of verse 18 you get a clear indication of why there's coming a day in our day, in our time, when God will reign judgment. Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. No one has an excuse today. No one on the planet can say, I didn't know. I haven't been to Sunday school. I never went to church. I don't even know. God says, I put it in the heart of man to know that I am, a, I am God. Verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They started calling wrong right and right wrong. They started taking what has been known to be God's standards and twist and pervert them. And say, we will not listen to God. We will define life by our own narrative. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up 
to uncleanness. In other words, he let them go in the way they wanted to go. You see, God will not force you to believe. He will pour out his grace and invite you by faith to come. Because if he forced you, then it wouldn't be love that you came by. But in the mystery and wisdom of God's ways, he lays out his goodness and says, I'm waiting. Will you come? Verse 24 again, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They chose to look to themselves for answers. They chose to look for man to answers. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. This is truth. This is not outdated religious jargon. This is commentary on our day. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. They chose their sin and God allowed them to have what they wanted. And I'm telling you, when you, when you choose perversion, you will choose confusion. When you choose corruption, you're choosing blindness because it will darken your heart. God will let you have what you want and your mind and your thoughts and your emotions will all be twisted and distorted. Hmm. Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. They approve of it, they celebrate it, and they demand to be celebrated for it. This is what happens when you reject the goodness of God. This is what happens when you shake your fist at God. We are seeing it in our land today. That scripture is being fulfilled. We're seeing a land where minds are twisted, distorted, excusing what they were doing, shaking their fist at God, saying we will not bow, we will not listen, that stuff's outdated, that stuff has no place in culture. We don't want to hear your God stuff. It's exactly what they said in Noah's day. The exact same thing. Rejection of God's ways always leads to corruption. And corruption always leads to blindness. And blindness will lead to a time of judgment. We live in a window right now 
a window where the gospel is open and invites those who are sick of their sin, who are tired of their ways, and who are ready for life to come to Jesus. It's, an, it's a window of repentance where you can turn away and receive forgiveness and new life and be transformed, be made new. And it's in all of this that God follows his ways, his blueprint, a pattern echoed down through time that is soon to reach its final fulfillment as God lays the blueprint down one more time and finishes his plan. So over the next seven weeks, including today, we're going to look at what I believe is the blueprint for what's ahead. Now, I recognize if you've been in church for some time, if you've walked in, in circles of Christianity, you know that there are a lot of different versions of the end times out there. Uh, I had some friends for a while. We used to go out to eat some Mexican food periodically, which is always fun to do and great to do. And the question at the meal was always, so when do you pray when you go out to eat some Mexican food? Do you pray before the chips come? Do you pray after the chips come? Do you pray after the meal? It's confusing, you know? You don't know exactly what to do. So we would tease and say, are you a pre-chipper? Are you more of a post-chip prayer? Or are you a, you know, are you a pre-meal prayer? Do you pray before the meal, after the chips, or do you pray at the very end? You don't meet many of those people who I pray after the whole meal. You don't meet many of those. But it was just interesting how it all fits with the end times because there are a lot of Christians who say, you know, Jesus is going to turn, return before the tribulation. Those are the pre-trib people, all right? There are some who say, well, no, um, there's going to be a tribulation, but Jesus is going to return after the tribulation. Those are the post-trib people. There are some who believe there's going to be a, a, a millennial reign of Christ on earth. And some say, well, Jesus is going to return there, and that'll be the pre-millennial believers of the end times. It's just interesting how it all fits with Mexican food. So I'll say this. What I'm going <laughs> to show you is what I understand the end times to be. Now, good faithful, mature believers for ages have debated these things. And there are good, faithful people on all sides. So I don't want you to think this morning that by what I'm about to show you means that you are on the outs or you can't come here anymore or any of that. I've been in church in the past, decades past, where if you didn't fit the end times view, you were out of the church. That's crazy. It's not about when, it's about who is returning. Amen? So let's all just agree up front that we're not going to get all twisted off about, you know, the when and all that kind of stuff. We're going to stay amped up about the who. Amen? All right, let's just agree to that. Here's what I believe will be the pattern and, and what we're going to do over the next six more weeks after today. Here it is. I believe we're going to see increased tension. I do believe there's going to be a time of rapture where God rescues the church 
from the coming judgment that there will be a great tribulation upon the planet. God will bring his judgment. There'll be a return of Jesus to planet Earth. There'll be a reign of Jesus on the Earth. There'll be an end to Satan, hallelujah, and there'll be an eternity lived with him. Now, I recognize you may have different pieces shuffled around in that list in different ways. That's okay. As long as Jesus reigning is still on your list, we're all good to go. Amen? Amen? All right, good. Amen. Yeah, let's all kind of clap about it. It's good stuff. So, so to put some things in perspective, one more passage, and we'll wrap this whole thing up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Turn your Bible there. Turn your Bible app there. Let's look at this passage because the people in the church... Uh, in the town of Thessalonica. Aren't you glad it's just Ovilla and not Thessalonica? Yeah. So in Thessalonica, there was a church, a body of believers. They were kind of young in the faith and they were uncertain. They'd heard all this talk about the end times and they were really concerned. What is going to happen? What do we do? How are we supposed to know? And what's, what are we supposed to do next? First Thessalonians 5 verse 1. The apostle Paul, who's the leader of the church at the time, says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Hmm. He's put a lot of confidence in them. I'm sure that felt good for them. Verse 2, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Paul says there's coming a day, a day of the Lord, when he will come, and when it happens... It's going to be like a thief in the night. And a thief doesn't ever call ahead and say, hey, I'm on my way over. If you could unlock the back door for me and turn the lights off, put your guns away, that'd be great. If you could just leave the house, I'm coming, all right? Thieves don't do that. Thieves don't alert you ahead of time. You don't know when they're coming. They just come. And he says, there's a day coming that'll be like that. It'll be like a thief coming in the night. Verse 3, for when they, the world, says, peace and safety, it's okay. Everybody be at peace. Everyone be safe. Everyone all come together. Let's just all love one another. Know this. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. This is referring to all of those who have rejected, pushed away, and said, no, God. He says they have to know that a day of judgment is coming, but it will not happen that way for them because it will come, boom, and catch them like a thief in the night. They want to say, hey, there was no beginning with a God. We just all kind of evolved into what's going on today. And there's no end time judgment with a God who's going to hold us all accountable and, and, and elevate his son. That's... Mm, it's not true. Live like you want. Live out of your desires. Do what feels good. Call yourself another gender that you're not. Call yourself whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Have whatever kind of marriage you want. Do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. What you say is true is true is what the world would say today. God says, no, only what I say is true. That's the only truth. Just because you don't agree with it or like the way it feels to you does not mean it's not true. Paul says, know this, sudden destruction will come, verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. 
You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Let's not get upset about what is to come because we know who is to come. We know what he's going to do and we have no reason to fear. Let us know who's coming. Let us see his signs and let us get our eyes open and let's be fully alert. I don't have to numb myself to what's coming. I don't have to fear about what's coming. I don't have to head for the hills because of what's coming. Verse seven, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Their way only leads to blindness. Their way leads only to trying to escape. Instead, verse eight, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. He says, as you see the times coming, as you see the signs on the highway, don't let fear take over. Instead, we are to be those who put on the breastplate of faith. It was a soldier who put on his breastplate and said, I can head into battle. Shoot at me what you want. I've got a covering over my heart. I will not be led astray. He says, you and I should be that same way. Put a covering over your heart. Be safe. Be strong in the Lord. Put on that breastplate of faith and love. Love people in this time. Don't start hating people. Love purposefully at this time. But he ends it and says, and put on a helmet. It's the hope of salvation. Put on something that's going to guard your head. The head is the place where the, the mind is. If you want to protect your mind in this day, your thoughts, then you must put on the helmet that he says is the hope of salvation. It's the hope of being rescued. That's what salvation is. I've been saved. He's not referring here, I don't think, to just my spiritual soul. He's talking about our redemption and rescue as a people. He says, put on a helmet that guards your thoughts, that guards your mind so that your thoughts are shaped with hope. If your end times view does not lead you to a place of hope, then I would call into question your end times view. You need to stop and assess. You need to stop and see what's going on. Put on this armor that guards your heart, that protects you from depression and anxiety and struggle and uncertainty and buying into the lies of the world. Guard your heart, guard your mind at the same time. We should be those who, as the day approaches, we have greater faith, greater joy, greater hope. And here is why in this next verse. Look at it. For God did not appoint us to wrath. Now, there's coming a day of judgment. But it is only for those who have refused to have their sins 
paid for by Christ. It's only for those who've rejected salvation in him. It's only for those who've said, no, thank you, God. I don't want any part of that walking by faith, uh, you know, trusting you, forgiveness by you. I'd rather do all this on my own. I don't need you, God. But here's the truth. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and it's demonstrated by your pursuit of him, here's what is true. The day that Jesus hung on the cross, there on that day, your sins were applied to him and the wrath of God was poured out on him on the cross, the full judgment for your sin. There's no more sin to have to pay for if you have entered into Christ. You have been once and for all set free from all judgment for your sin. That is the good news. So if you believe that and you know that, then you have to know that there's not coming a day where you will have to pay for your sins again. I'm stunned by the number of people I meet that think one day there's going to be a time in heaven where they're going to have to sit down in front of everybody and the big screen's going to come up and all their sins are going to play up there and they're going to like, ooh, that somehow all that you've done in the past that's wrong is going to be brought back up again before you. That is what the cross was about. How dare we think that that was somehow not enough to cover our sins completely? How dare we think that? We have not been appointed to wrath. Amen? Now look, I'm going to encourage you to put all this stuff together. I'm praying that God is showing you some big truths right now about who you are in him and how all this fits with the end times. And Paul said to this church, God has not appointed you for a day of judgment and wrath. Now, there's going to be some days you and I are going to have to go through some persecution because all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That just happens. That's here. That's life on planet Earth. But me facing some persecution from another person versus me facing the wrath of God, two very different things. Amen? You and I, have not been appointed to wrath if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You and I have not been appointed to wrath. You and I have not been appointed to wrath. Print that in your heart and your head. Wear that on your helmet. See if that doesn't give you some hope for the end times. The wrath was poured out already on Jesus. But he, Paul goes on. We wrap up with this. He says, here's what you have been appointed to, though. In verse 9, the second part, he says, but here's what you've been appointed to, to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you were also doing. This is not the time to be afraid. This is not the time for us to run away. This is our time to stand up with great faith and say, I know my God is for me. I know my God has already paid for and canceled my sin. I don't fear a day ahead. I don't fear what man can do to me. I only fear what the one who controls and owns me says about me, and that's the one I'll please. Amen? This puts everything into perspective regarding the end times. Are there difficult days ahead? Yes. Are there potentially difficult days for the church ahead? Yes. 
Will it involve the wrath of God being poured out against us? No. No. You can't find it in Scripture. I don't care where you look. You will not find God pouring out his wrath on his bride. You won't find God pouring out his wrath on his children. You'll instead see him delivering them, rescuing them, and loving them. Would you bow your heads with me? As we come to the end of our message today, you find yourself in possibly a couple of places. One might be a place where you you look at the end times and you say, I'm not so sure I know that I know that I know. I've been around church, but I've never begun that relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know that my sins are forgiven and paid for and removed, and I don't know that he's not against me. I just don't know that. Well, I would invite you today to do this, to say to God, God, I know I'm a sinner. I have failed. I thank you that you sent your son to take the wrath for my sin. I receive that forgiveness. I receive it by faith. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you say I'm secure in you and that you will never condemn me now in you. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. If you've done that, you have just been born again. It might be that you're here today and you say, you know, I've known Christ for a long time. I just, I've drifted so far. I've walked away. I've been doing my own thing. I look, I look more like those that are against him than those that are for him. But today, I'm done. Today, I'm through with that. There's too much at stake. There's too much I could miss. God, I'm coming back to you. Forgive me for walking my own ways. Receive me back as a son as I know you do. I'll live for you. It might be today that you just want to say, God, thank you. I worship you today. I don't deserve to be free from your wrath, but you freed me. You set me free. I belong to you, and I'm grateful. Father, this morning I know you're speaking because your word is alive, your spirit is here, and you are in the process of changing lives. For every one of us, there's a a decision to make today, a decision that draws us closer to you, that brings us into the family, back to the family, or grateful to be in the family. And I pray that by your authority, you'll speak to each person here today and speak your word to them, that there may be life, that there may be hope, And there may be the full confidence that in Jesus Christ, we have not been appointed to wrath. God, I thank you for today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um, what you're about to see is a baptism. We've been ending our services with baptisms by those who have uh, put their faith in Christ recently. But today, it's not just one person. It's a couple. And they come as a couple today. So I want to introduce to you Raphael and Amanda. Y'all come on up. Yeah, we're excited for them. 
talked to them just recently, and um, they've had some experiences with faith in the past and church, but have said, we're ready to make some things right and get serious and live out this faith that God has given us. And what an awesome thing to do as parents, husband and wife. And uh, if you're looking and think, man, she sure looks familiar, it's because her sister was baptized last week. Charity, why don't you come on up here for just a moment? So um, their mom and dad were here. Jennifer, Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, Jennifer, little sister, come on up. Yeah, mom and dad, oh yeah, tiny little baby. So three sisters. And mom and dad were here last week. And they got to experience Charity being baptized. What day was it? Tuesday? Thursday. Uh, her mom uh, began to have some health issues and was rushed to the hospital, uh, incoherent, couldn't make out anybody, couldn't communicate. And so she's been in the hospital since then. Yesterday, started showing some alertness and uh, awake a little. Uh, they believe there's potentially some medical, I mean, uh, some medicine conflict, yeah, One issues. amazing thing that she said, she sat up straight in her bed last night. She pointed up at the wall like E.T. <laughs> and she goes, God's here. Wow. She hadn't said much over the no, days, but she woke up, and the yeah. one thing she said was, God's she was here, and then she was back she out. She sat up, and she said, God's here. Yeah, amen. Amen. And tell us her name. It is? Bobby. Bobby. Bobby Mathers. Bobby Mathers. All right. So we're going to pray for her and for them. I wonder if there's some ladies who'd like to come stand around them right here just as a way of saying, we're here. We're praying for you as well. Thank you, ladies. Not to leave Raphael out of the situation here. But if some guys want to come stand with him, that'd be all right too, because he's part of this family and as part of what God is doing in their life. All right. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you have begun. Um, so many times in Scripture, when you began a work in one person in a family, it spilled over to the whole family, and a whole household was saved. And, Lord, we're seeing some of that right here. So I thank you for sisters who have returned to you with their whole heart, who've come to believe and also to live out what they now believe. I pray for their mom this morning. I pray for Bobby. Lord, no one saw this, saw this coming, but you did. We hadn't anticipated it, but you did. And I know you have a purpose for all things. So uh, we would pray that whatever it is you've begun in her, you'd complete it. That you'd bring it to full completion, that a miracle would happen in her heart. And if that's physical healing, we ask for that. But even greater than that, we ask for spiritual healing in her own heart, that she'd be brought back to you, a heart that loves you, trusts you, is free from any other influence that would keep her from loving and trusting you. And I know that you use all things to bring together your purposes and your will, so God, use this as I know you are. I pray for her husband, and I also pray for Raphael this morning as a man in the family to give strength, confidence, leadership, and may his faith stand strong at this time. I thank you for sisters who uh, 
together are loving and pursuing you. Bless them with great joy, power, and peace during this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much. And I'm going to keep these two. And we're going to make our way up on stage. That's all right. Y'all come on up. Yeah. You just got shorter. <laughs> Took off those heels. <laughs> we're going to let, let your husband go first. All right. Cool. Raphael, I welcome you to these waters. They're warm. Come on in. Yeah? This dude's making a splash. <laughs> Come on. It's good. Yeah, you can sit all the way down. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I welcome you to these waters. There's nothing magical in them, but there's something spiritual in you. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Spirit of God within you. And what a time in this day and age to be a man who says, I will follow the Lord Jesus Christ. What a time to be a leader in your home. I welcome you, and I'm grateful, and I'm proud of you as a man. There's other men in this room right here who stand beside you and say, well done. We stand with you as a dad, as a husband, to accomplish what God has called you to. So it's the beginning of something new God's doing in your life, and he'll be faithful to complete it. He'll bring you all the way to the place of conforming your heart and your attitudes and your actions all to be like our Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. So I baptize you, my brother, my brother in Christ. You're buried with him in baptism. And raised to walk in newness of life. Yeah. Nobody would have known that uh, this day would come and that your mom would not be here today. You want to step on in? But because we trust in our God, we believe there's something even he's doing here in this, at this time. And what a great time for you to make this decision, to follow the Lord Jesus with all your heart, for him to be active in your life. And for you as a couple to do that, that's a beautiful thing. A picture of Jesus in the church. What a picture you'll be to your children who are watching. What a picture will be for you as you remember this day. So I'm excited for what God has begun in you and will continue to do in you. So I baptize you then as my sister in Christ. You're buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life.